Debbie, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, Delilah, America's shining radio star, and actor Kevin Sorbo shares a Christmas wish. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! I love it when we have a great audience like we do here in our theater in Hendersonville, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome to our show. I have finally figured out how to make the media say something really nice about Republicans. Because after watching the glowing, and may I add, the deserved tributes to our 41st president, George Herbert Walker Bush, from the media this week, and remembering the kind and effusive praise they also lavished on Senator John McCain after his death, I realize the one way to get the press speaking with adoration toward a Republican is for that Republican to either die or say something really nasty about the current president. <laughs> now, for those who thought that former President Bush had a cozy and sweet relationship with the press during his long and storied career, think again. He was deemed insincere for taking the vice presidency after being harshly critical of Ronald Reagan's economic plans. He once threw Newsweek reporters off of Air Force One when they treated him pretty much like they treat the current president. And for that matter, like they have treated every other Republican president in my lifetime. He exchanged heated and terse comments with a number of reporters, including Dan Rather of CBS. And he was called wimpish by the media despite the fact that he was a true, honest-to-God war hero, having been shot down during a mission as a young naval aviator, and then he was rescued by a U.S. submarine before the Japanese got to him. He was gracious, thoughtful, and diplomatic, to be sure. But there wasn't much wimpish about him. He was a tough political pro, and he built an impressive coalition of countries to stop Saddam Hussein's brutal invasion of Kuwait. He was an effective leader in legislation, though not given nearly the credit that he deserves for some real legacy items, among them the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. His management of the post-Cold War realignment in the former Soviet Union and Europe is greatly underappreciated in that when brutal communist governments collapsed and the Berlin Wall came down, the world did not degenerate into a world war or even civil war within the various countries who moved from dictatorship to freedom. Oh, sure, the press spoke some of the things this week, but do your own research. Go back and see how the media treated the 41st president when he was alive and in office, or even when he was running for office. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm really glad the media spent this past week remembering this wonderful leader's legacy of leadership and statesmanship. But for them to pretend that they have always treated him with even a hint of that respect is just plain laughable. You know, one of the reasons the news media is held in such contempt by many of us is not just their blatant and unabashed bias, but because of their shameless hypocrisy in moments like these. I've been reminded this week 
not to be very concerned if the media scorches me or other conservatives for our beliefs. Because one day, when I die, they might even be forced to say something nice. But I'm also reminded that if, if we're going to take them seriously, they need to start acting like objective observers detached from their own opinions and personal views and just tell the story straight and honestly. In the meantime, when it comes to President George Herbert Walker Bush, they finally got it right this week, even though he had to die for them to tell the full story. When you think of Texas, you probably think of cowboys, great football, and maybe even barbecue. But Texas is the only state with more residents than California, and it's a bellwether for American politics. And that's because a whole lot of people from California have moved to Texas. My next guest is a strong advocate for traditional values, and he's written a fascinating book on the importance of Texas to the nation's political leadership. Please welcome former congressman and well-known conservative activist, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Colonel, nice to have you here. Thank you for joining me, and Merry Christmas to you. It's a pleasure to be with you, Governor, and Merry Christmas as well. You talk about an Alamo moment in the Texas landscape right now, and, and of course that's sort of the landmark moment always in the Texas landscape. What do you mm -hmm. mean by a current-day Alamo moment? Well, when you look at what is happening here in Texas, and without a doubt, there are people that are still in shock after the midterm elections here. When you saw an incredible bushwhacking, if I can use that term, of Republican uh, congressmen, state house members, state senators, and a lot of judges in places like Houston and Harris County and here where I live in Dallas. So I think that when you look at the importance of Texas, it's the largest red state, the most electoral votes uh, from a conservative state. Uh, it is an incredible, uh, you know, has an incredible standing and meaning for the country that we call the United States of America. I mean, these people are leaving mm -hmm. California, but they, they're leaving because of the leftist policies. But then, Colonel, mm -hmm. they're taking those political views that they left with them when they go to places like Arizona or Colorado mm -hmm. or in, in the case you're speaking of, Texas. But you're right, Governor. Colorado is now a blue state and it is dictated by the politics and the populations of Denver and Boulder where you see uh, the University of Colorado, just the same as Arizona, who just elected a very far-left senator in uh, Senator-elect uh, Cinema. That's exactly what is happening here. See, these business leaders are understanding why they are leaving California because of the failure of the economic and tax and regulatory policies there. And they're coming to successful red states like a Texas or even like a Tennessee or North Carolina. But what they're not doing is articulating to their employees that are coming along with those businesses why they're leaving. And I think that's an important message that has to be sent. So what's the solution? How do, how do people who are uh, committed uh, to the values that made those states strong and economically viable, 
How do they maintain their identity? One of the things we do in the book is we draw out that comparative analysis between those failed policies of California, Illinois, New York, and New Jersey, because I don't think a lot of people understand that. And we have to get them to realize is that if you really wanted Texas or Tennessee or whatever to come become more like a California, Illinois, then why did you leave those places in the first place? So I think that it is a very simple uh, discussion. And when you really look at the failure of progressive socialist policies, Governor, you see it in the inner cities. You see it in the urban population centers. And that's something we need to bring out. You know, it's interesting you talk about the people who are immigrating to states like Texas. What mm -hmm. parallels do you see from people immigrating into the United States in the same manner in which people are immigrating from one state to the next? When we see people that are coming across the border or people that are migrating into Texas and they want more of wealth redistribution policies, when they want more of government control, when you see people that are looking to make individuals more economically dependent instead of economically independent, those are the type of terms, those are the type of philosophies that we have to articulate and the issues that go along with them. I think one of the great things we need to be talking about is the restoration of the family in these inner cities and strengthening the families, small business entrepreneurship, but we also have to talk about the respect of our rule of law, and that's a, that's a foundational principle for not just Texas, but for the United States. And you're talking about values that are not just economic values, about mm -hmm. lower regulation and taxes, but, but the values of fatherhood and hard work and, mm -hmm. and a traditional family where people grow up with two parents. I mean, that's, that's part of what you're discussing uh, is at stake. Yes, sir. And you know what is amazing to me is that a lot of people, even in the black community, don't know. When I was born in 1961, the two-parent household in the black community, Governor, was between 75 and 77 percent. But because of Lyndon Bain Johnson and his Great Society policies and programs that talked about giving welfare checks to women who had children out of wedlock, now we see in our inner city communities that's only 24 percent. And think about all of the consequences, maybe intended, that come from that when you have these homes that don't have a positive, strong uh, male role model. And that's a very simple uh, point that we can bring across to anyone that is c trying to, you know, come into the United States or trying to come into the great state of Texas. Getting back to the blocking and tackling of the country, strong families, strong uh, work ethic, strong economic growth, that's what we're talking about. Fascinating insights and a uh, delight to have you here. Uh, let me highly recommend reading the book by Colonel West called Hold Texas, Hold the Nation, a battle cry to anyone who holds traditional values and hopes to see our nation continue on the path of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That book is available now at major booksellers, and you can also delve deeper into the common sense insights of Lieutenant Colonel Allen West on all of today's issues. Go to his website, The Old School Patriot. Dot com. Our announcer and faithful sidekick Keith Bilbury is standing in the only place that we even let him stay so he can tell our audience what's coming up next. Coming up, championing children traumatized by ISIS. Then Charlie Daniels presents his new album and America's number one woman in radio, Delilah, has important things to share. More Huckabee in 60 seconds.
Oh, I love the big finish of the song as we come back. Welcome back. By the way, have you noticed that Keith and Trey and the band are all dressed up in Christmas sweaters? I didn't say ugly Christmas sweaters. I said Christmas sweaters. Look at Keith. You look delightful. Trey, you look magnificent. You look like you just fell down the chimney. You didn't yeah. come down. You fell. What about your ugly Christmas tie, Governor? I, look, I think it's a beautiful Christmas tie. I only get to wear it one month out of the year, and this is it. So I didn't wear a sweater. I don't even have a Christmas sweater. I can so I get you one, Gov. I okay. got one in the back. I'll Thank you very it. much. I'll trade you this one. You know what? I am all set for the evening. We'll maybe do it next year. <laughs> and maybe not. Well, born to a drug-dealing father who abandoned him, my next guest lived through severe abuse, drugs, PTSD, 14 schools, and 17 homes. But his life got turned around through the discipline of martial arts, the U.S. Marines, and when his dad became a Christian and helped him meet Christ. Today, his All Things Possible Ministries works all over the world in high-risk missions to help save children from abuse and trauma. It is indeed an honor to welcome Victor Marks. Victor, I'm honored to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Governor. Privileged to be here. I would say that it's reasonable just to say that your life had a pretty rough start. Tell us about it. Well, you know, my father didn't claim me as this kid when I was born. And, and um, when my mother was pregnant, he actually said, that's not mine. Mm. So, you know, that, that feeling of rejection from a young age. You felt it. Oh, it, it, it really set the course of my life mm. um, that caused a lot of behavioral issues. And... One thing led to another, which was abuse. Now, you know, most people, if they're wanting to rebel, they, they go off the deep end. You joined the Marine Corps? I, I mean, did. that's a little conformist, isn't it? Well, so, they gave me a place to sleep, food to eat, and a weapon to shoot yeah. people, so I was able to <laughs> direct my anger. Well, now that you put it like that. Right. But what was it about the Marine Corps that made you say, that's the place for me? Is there something there that's going to put my life together? They seemed like they were the hardest branch to get into. And uh, to earn the Eagle Gloomin Acre would be the greatest accomplishment of my life. Mm. When you got to the Marine Corps, that's when you were introduced to the martial arts. Right. Uh, it was an opportunity and an avenue for me to uh, gain skill sets that gave me value. Uh, and then I actually used it to earn a world title. And I hold the world records for the fastest gun disarm. Let's talk about when you got in the Marines, martial arts training. Then things began to happen in your life that drew you to something beyond you. Well, my, it was through a letter of my biological dad who was a practicing warlock. And it wasn't until I received a letter from him saying that, uh, he goes, I know you think I'm crazy. Because I'm like, yeah, he <laughs> spent time in a mental hospital. <laughs> but same one my grandfather died in. So wow. I actually just thought it was a You thought it was share. genetic. Oh, yeah. It's, I'll be there. But when he wrote me, he said, this time I'm crazy for Jesus Christ. And he invited me to church. And I realized I, I need to be forgiven for my own failures and sin. It's almost like you learned how to disarm a person. God learned how to disarm you. Oh, love was the only thing I couldn't fight. You have two addresses now, one in the U.S. and one of all places in Iraq. Yeah. That's where your ministry, All Things Possible, is, is really focused. What do you do with these children in Iraq? Well, there's a few things. We, were, for a season, were really recovering and reaching them in the battles and taking them out of ISIS territory as orphans. And then we're providing surgeries for them, hmm. uh, kids who've been shot by ISIS, mortars, uh, all the hardest stuff because there's really no other options. 
And then we really care for them because of the trauma that, that faces, you know, they have to deal with after yeah. effects of war. So we've helped 31,000 kids so far. You know, it's funny because they call me a man of the book. Hmm. What and, a great compliment. Right? The Muslims, yeah. they go, you know what, you, you care for our children. You're not just focused on one segment. I said, well, Jesus loves all the children of the world. And I think this is what he'd be doing. Now, I know you also, uh, you have something called the third option. Tell me about that. Well, we're helping kids, right, and reaching and uh, still recovering. But we also want to stop the messaging that extremists are using. Don't you want to see there be yes. less? So we, we have a very intentional, well-thought-out process using social media as a platform to counter the message. And we're actually moving forward on, um, on a program, and we'll, we'll share it in the future, of how we will actually recruit the same young men in the same countries that extremists are recruiting to stop them from going that path. What a positive thing. To, rather than just to quine about what's going wrong, you're doing something right. By the way, I understand you brought a special guest with you. Oh yeah, one of my best colleagues that is, uh, is part of our team. And uh, you wanna meet her? I'd love to. Scout, Foose. Get up over there. <laughs> and that's Scout. Now, Scout served in Iraq, right? Yeah. Scout's on our team. She's, uh, she's a Belgian Malinois, uh, a highly trained tier one dog from Baden Canine. Uh, they donated to our teams. And she's the only canine that we know of, actually, that faced ISIS fighters and an ISIS commander uh, while I was actually trying to pray for him. And then within hours later, children we'd recover were playing with her in our home. Oh, wow. What a beautiful dog and a beautiful story. Yeah. Victor, thank you for what you're doing. God bless you. I appreciate what it. What a delight to have you here. Thank you, Governor. Thank you. And to learn more about Victor Marks and to support the important and also the dangerous work that he and All Things Possible Ministries are doing in Iraq and all over the world, go to victormarks.com. That's where you're going to find some must-see YouTube videos. Again, that's victormarks.com. Now, when Charlie Daniels and producer James Stroud teamed up in the past, it resulted in some of the most successful albums for the Charlie Daniels band. But James also happens to be one of the finest and most soulful drummers in the business. And a few years ago, James produced a musical CD that I put together to raise funds to buy musical instruments for kids. And I had the pleasure of working with this A-list Nashville producer. Well, Bo Weevil's Songs in the Key of E is the culmination of the duo of James Stroud and Charlie Daniels and their long-held desire to do a project together. Now, if you don't find yourself tapping your toes in the next couple of minutes, well, there's something wrong with you. Fans who follow Country Music Hall of Famer Charlie Daniels online may have noticed what appears to be a serious infestation of boll weevil bugs on his social media accounts and website. As it turns out, those critters aren't boll weevils at all. They're actually boll weevils. Well, we, the Beatles were taken, so we... <laughs> <laughs> you know, where did it come hey, from? We were too big for mosquitoes. Yeah. <laughs> we got... Uh, Charlie Hayward, my bass player, and Billy Crane, who was, in my book, is the finest slide guitar player around nowadays, and just went in and took these songs and cut them. They're, the secret sauce is his creativity, and, and he is the best at creating a mission and following through. I mean, when we sat down, 
the first day, and I got on the drums, and he got on his guitar, and he played the beginning of Mudcat. I knew it was going to be a record, because I knew when, when he caught fire creatively, and he, there, there's just, there's no stopping it. Mudcat was an old man, lived down along the river by the big sandbar. You know, then he, got, he came up with Louisiana Blues, which is an old-style kind of feel from Louisiana down in Louisiana. It's almost like a, like a Dixieland thing. It is. A, it's, a, yeah. it's what's called a second line with brushes. I mean, we hadn't used brushes Nobody cares about us. We had to look to find a fair thing to play with. But it gives a song a feel you can't yeah. get with sticks. It's oh, just I like, and plus the fact he still got that soulful thing going with the brushes. Look, we got him rocking, man. When the sun goes hey, Mike, I like this guy. <laughs> and ain't nobody it's the most honest record I think I have ever done. It's a good word. There's no loops. There's nothing electronic. It's a bunch of guys playing as hard as we can play with having as much fun as we can. Yeah! Hey, Mike, come sit in with us. We got a bass, you don't even have to bring it. Got a bass now, yeah? Come on down. I am so ready to go play with Charlie Daniels and the band. If you've never been around him, I'm gonna tell you, Charlie Daniels is so talented, but in addition to his musical gifts, this is a guy that's always supporting our veterans. I mean, genuinely. Recently, David Corlew, Charlie's manager and the co-founder of the Journey Home Project, visited the Vanderbilt Ingram Cancer Center and donated $50,000 to help veterans who are battling cancer. Now that is how entertainers give back. By the way, you can get Charlie's new album and check out his new book as well. It's called, Let's All Make the Day Count. They're both at his website, charliedaniels.com. Keith, I believe it's your time to shine, so make it count. Oh, I'm going to see you and Charlie Daniels playing music together. Next, Mike's got news that will shake the blues on In Case You Missed It. Then the queen of radio, Delilah, joins us. And there's financial wisdom from O.S. Hawkins, all on Huckabee. And that's one of the more spiritual Christmas tunes, Run Run Rudolph. Yes, indeed. That'll bless you. It actually did bless me. I enjoy that all the way. Anything the Music City Connection and Trey Corley do, I like it. I really do. The best band in music today. And they're on our show. All right, from celebrity shout-outs to the school principal who almost stole Christmas, we've got the stories that'll restore your faith in humanity on a segment that we like to call in case you missed it. Well, the holiday season is in full swing, and that means shopping, sometimes ordering online, and of course, dealing with the dreaded porch pirates. You know, the people who like to steal the packages when no one is home? Well, the Kansas City Police released some video of one midday thief who got cold feet when the alarm went off as he attempted to take the package. Now, watch this. Yeah.
you gotta love it. Now, while this porch pirate was foiled, last year about 11 million packages were stolen from homeowners. So try to be home when your packages arrive. Or get one of those sweet home security systems like our friend in Kansas City and send them scrambling and hopefully tripping face first into a thorny rose bush or a large pile of dog dew because that's the least they deserve for trying to steal someone else's Christmas. Don't you agree? I thought you did. All right, from our how to make an entrance file, a pastor at Brown Baptist Church down in Mississippi decided to get the congregation's attention in a very unique way. That's by making a flying entrance to his sermon. Pastor Bartholomew Orr wanted to bring attention to how Jesus is expected to make a surprise return to this world. So the pastor said a professional company installed the flight harness and all he had to do was get up the nerve just to being in it. Now, being a Baptist church, he probably had to get the deacons to approve this uh, unique arrival. Now, while critics called his, uh, well, his foray into the church a cheap stunt, Pastor Orr said he thought more young people left Sunday morning talking about his sermon than they had in a long while. No doubt about that. Now, perhaps when you give a message on King David, I think you ought to ride in on a motorcycle. After all, the Bible says David's triumph was heard in all the land. Now, the war on Christmas has reached Elkhorn, Nebraska, where elementary school principal Jennifer Sinclair, seeking to be culturally sensitive to all students, banned candy canes from class. Why, you may ask? because it might make people think of Jesus, the J and the candy cane. Funny, I'm suddenly thinking of judgmental jerk for the Js. When Buddy the Elf was reached for a comment, he allegedly said the principal, quote, smells like beef and cheese and sits on a throne of lies, end quote. Principal Sinclair also banned Santa, Christmas trees, songs, movies, ornaments, reindeer, and things that are red and green. That means my tie would be unwelcome at the school there in Nebraska. I wonder if her life story, The Grinch, will still be shown. Sinclair said, and I quote, I feel uncomfortable that I have to get this specific, but for everyone's comfort, I will, end quote. Well, fortunately, shocked parents contacted the Liberty Council, who then threatened a lawsuit over this unconstitutional hostility toward Christians. The school lifted the unapproved ban and they placed Principal Sinclair on administrative leave. Yeah, there you go. So the kids in Elkhorn, Nebraska can once again have a little fun this Christmas season. And to our principal, we wish the very best Festivus possible, and we will send her a case of candy canes just to be nice. Now, before we wrap things up, a few shout outs to our friends on the internet. A shout out to actor James Woods for calling out the media on their boycott of First Lady Melania Trump. If she was married to a Democrat, we wouldn't be able to keep up with her off the covers of magazines. So James Woods took it upon himself to rectify things when he tweeted, since no American magazine will put her on a cover, we'll just have to celebrate her ourselves. And also, we have a shout out to Wheel of Fortune host Pat Sajak, who has never forgotten his fans, has proven in this tweet. He says, and I quote, one thing I've never done is lose touch with our viewers. 
If I'm in my car and someone waves at me, I always have my driver lower his window and wave back. <laughs> and finally, PETA recently issued a list of new phrases to replace those that offend them, which is pretty much everything. So instead of saying the phrase, beat a dead horse, which they found offensive, they are requesting that we start saying, feed a fed horse. Did you get that? I'm sure all of you are going to do that because PETA has asked you to. Right. But when they ask for bring home the bagels to replace bring home the bacon, Senator Orrin Hatch let his loyalty be known with an online video <laughs> filled with crispy, delicious bacon and his thorough enjoyment of it. Now, some of you may think the good senator was just hemming it up. I said, some of you may think the good senator was hemming it up. Slow bunch, Keith. Well, I say it's good to see an elected official getting rid of the pork in Washington and consuming it instead. Well, like Santa, just trying to figure out who's naughty and nice, we're making a list. And we're reading the news. My next guest is the most listened to woman on American radio. Nine million listeners follow her advice and love inspiring words and music. Recently, she took a break to deal with a heartbreaking loss in her own life. That story and much more is in her brand new book, One Heart at a Time. Please welcome our special guest, Delilah. Thank you for joining us and delighted to have you. Thank you, thank you for, for giving me this opportunity to share some holiday love. First of all, to be the most listened to woman in all of radio has to be an extraordinary honor, but also a great responsibility, knowing that many people are listening to your every word and paying attention to it and maybe following your advice. Well, hopefully I'm giving sound advice or sound wisdom. Uh, I notice when I listen to old tapes, Mike, from back in the day, when I was a little bit younger and thought I knew everything, now I just bury my face in my hands and go, I can't believe I said that. Because as, as you mature, your, your worldview changes and your perspective changes. And, and uh, so hopefully my, my advice is a little more seasoned with wisdom today. One of the things, Delilah, I love about your book, One Heart of the Time, is, is the honesty, the candor. I'm so grateful that for the people who listen to you, you give them uh, a story of reality and how that faith is not an escape from challenges, it's the power to get through them. How important is it, do you think, that message needs to get to people who think that if they just love God enough, they won't have any problems and everything will come up roses? Well, you're delusional if you believe that. <laughs> uh, and God's word promises us that we will have trials and tribulations. He said, in this world, you're going to have troubles. You're going to, not maybe. It's not a, well, you might. He says, in this world, you're going to have trials, but rejoice because he's already overcome them. If we don't go through those challenges, we're not going to be refined. We're not going to become pure gold. We're going to you know, be filled with the dross. There's a story in the book about a homeless woman that had a big impact on your life. I want you to share that story because I think it's very, very powerful. 
Well, I have a woman in my life named Donna. We call her, we called her back in those days, our fairy god Donna, because I was, you know, I was struggling. I was living paycheck to paycheck. So she had offered to take my family and I on a business trip. She had to go and work and do the business trip, but she said, you're welcome to stay in the hotel. It's already paid for, I'm paying for it. And there's a pool there. So we went to Inner Harbor and we were walking across this patch of grass and there was a, a beautiful woman sitting on the sidewalk in the hot sun and she was holding up a sign and I'm looking at her and she doesn't appear to be high. She doesn't appear to be, you know, out of her mind. And so I sat down next to her and I just, I wanted to know how you got here. You know, what's the story? How does a beautiful, intelligent, articulate, cause she was very articulate woman, end up holding a sign saying, my kids are living in a box. Hmm. And uh, so she went and got her kids and I invited them back to Donna's hotel room. <laughs> Not thinking, you know, this really isn't appropriate to bring a homeless family to a hotel room that my friend is renting. But through that conversation and through that friendship, I came to realize I didn't really know anything about homelessness. So I learned a lot that day and it inspired me to start Point Hope. And you've touched people, you've uh, had a, a great impact, but it all starts with radio and your ability to communicate. And, and you're known, Delilah, for your capacity to have an empathy for the people who listen to you and the people you talk to. Where did that empathy come from? When I was a little girl, we lived on a farm and I would bring home every wounded animal, every stray bird. Uh, we went fishing one day and my brother and I caught a bunch of perch and bluegill, you know, little fish. Oh, yeah. And my brother was catching them so that mom could fry them up and eat them. And I'm trying to keep them alive in the bucket so I could take them home and turn them into pets. Huh. And. And so I, that's the way God made me. And when I got older, it, you know, it, it was people that I wanted to, to bless and to help. And so the hardest thing for me is learning when helping is hurting because I, I became very codependent and I would try to rescue people and you can't, you can't fix, you can uh, give information and wisdom and services and be a hand up. You need to be a, a helping hand out of a mess, not a hand out that only perpetuates the mess. Well, you certainly have been all of that and much more. And I thank you so much for being here. Let me just say to our audience, Delilah's new book called One Heart at a Time is available everywhere. And also for more information on Delilah's radio show, her podcast, the blog, and much more, go to Delilah.com. It's right there on your screen, Delilah.com. And you can follow her on Twitter at Radio Delilah. All right, Keith Bilbrey, how about showing a little heart yourself and share what's coming up next on the show? Up next, author O.S. Hawkins and his new book, The Nehemiah Code. We'll catch up with film star Kevin Sorbo. Then, country music's Frank Foster performs on Huckabee. You can give an incredible gift to someone in need through the Samaritan's Purse gift catalog. All you got to do is go to SamaritansPurse.org. 
from food and medical care for a refugee family to a prenatal and maternity care for a mom. You can even provide some baby chicks that'll grow to produce eggs for a family in need, give them some breakfast. All of that in the name of Jesus. I hope you'll open your heart and share the spirit of Christmas with those who need it the most. The Samaritan's Purse gift catalog online right now at SamaritansPurse.org. Or you can also give them a call. And I'll tell you something, every generous gift that you give will be good to use in their emergency relief work. And it's a wonderful organization that I regularly give to because I know they'll take good care and be good stewards of the gift. Well, my next guest has been a pastor, but is currently the president and CEO of the largest Christian-based mutual fund in all of America. He's also the author of the best-selling Code book series. His latest is the Nehemiah Code. It's never too late for a new beginning. Welcome one of our favorites, O.S. Hawkins. Good to have you back, O.S. Joy to be here, it's all right. The code books have just taken off. It's, I mean, it's been amazing. It really has. We're, did you ever envision when you wrote the first book? No, no. The the first one was uh, called the Joshua Code. I, I decided there were 52 verses of Scripture uh -huh. that every believer ought to know, and so they took you take one a week. It's a devotional book throughout a year, and it just uh, it took off. The the secret to them's in the subtitles. The next one was the Jesus Code. 52 Scripture questions. Hmm every believer ought to answer. You know, I believe there are 52 questions that are asked in the Bible that before we get to heaven, we ought to have an answer for. And then the newest, the Nehemiah Code, here's we're about to begin a new year. Uh, it's never too late for a new beginning. Everybody's looking for a new beginning. Some people are looking for a new beginning after divorce or after the death of a spouse or they've lost a job or they've got a new opportunity or uh, everybody's looking for a new beginning. And so the, the good news of the Bible is it's never too late for a new beginning. What is, what is it that most people need and they sometimes think, well, it's too late. There's no point in me even trying. Yeah. What, yeah. what is it? It's that... never too late. And I think the, the, the first section of it is about the, the fact that rebuilders get started right. That's the hardest part of everything. If we're going on a diet, worst part's trying to get started. If we know we need to get in an exercise program, the hardest part is getting over there and getting started. Mm -hmm. And uh, the same is true with uh, rebuilding our lives. But uh, it's, it's never too late for a new beginning. The, what we're trying to do with the Code Series, uh, Governor, is not get people into the Word of God, but get the Word of God into people. Mm. And when that happens, it can transform lives. That's perfect because Nehemiah was all about rebuilding, right. taking something that had been destroyed, and saying, we're going to build it back. So that, that's the right. concept of... Uh, yeah, he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a prophet. He was a civil servant. Had a job, good job, retirement benefits, left all of it, and went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the broken walls and the, and the burned gates. Rallied the people to do it. Uh, built a team spirit among them. Uh, didn't let obstacles keep him down and finished strong and, and got it done. One of the things that I have admired about all the books you've done in the Code series you don't keep the profits. All of it goes to helping ministers who have retired and are barely eking out a living. Right. Uh, we, we, we have a lot of good and godly people out there that are seem, seemingly forgotten. And that's uh, pastors uh, and their widows in their declining years. They 
Most of them pastored out in the crossroads where they never had enough money to live on, much less prepare for retirement. Most of them lived in a church-owned parsonage and had to get out of it. And uh, now in their declining years, they're down there at the poverty level. And so at Guidestone, we have a, we have a program called Mission Dignity. Mm -hmm. We're on a mission to bring dignity to these forgotten folks. And 60% of them are widows now, pastors. One little 87-year-old widow wrote me the other day and said, I get to eat at night now, and it's not just a piece of toast. Oh, wow. So uh, 10 years ago, we were able to give them $50 a month. We raised so much money now that the neediest among them get $630 a month which is a tremendous help from them. And all the royal, I believe that's one of the reasons God has blessed the, the Code series because it's sold over a million and a half copies now and all of those royalties go to those people in need. Well, the beautiful thing is, I mean, it, it, the books are delightful. They're easy to read. Uh, they're written, they're not written to a theologian. They're right. written to a, just an ordinary person who comes home from a day at work or gets right. up early to go to work. And the books are simple and the message is pure and clear. Uh, but I do think God has blessed the writing of these books mm -hmm. and the distribution because there are so many ministers in need. You know, you were talking about pastors getting evicted after living in church housing. Right. Uh, you know, politicians do too. I got evicted from the governor's <laughs> mansion uh, in Arkansas after almost 11 years. Uh, I found out that they wouldn't let me stay. <laughs> hey, they moved me out. Well, there's another house we all wish you were living in. I tried for that one too. <laughs> I never even got into that hey, one. It's never too late. <laughs> yes, for it is. Beginning. <laughs> <laughs> there are some things for which it's too late. No. Uh, well, tell me what is an obstacle that a lot of people are going to face when they try to start something new. Let's, let's take forgiveness. Because a lot of people have bitterness and anger in their hearts towards someone who hurt right. them. Maybe in years ago. Right. But they can't get over it. And they have to. Uh, uh, forgiveness is so vital. You know, in most relationships that are broken, there are two parties. There's an offending party and an offended party. And most of them, there's a little bit of both of us in both of them. But two things have to happen. The offending party must have a really a spirit of repentance. Mm. They have to be not just sorry. Repentance is not being sorry. We've done something. The rich young ruler went away sorrowful, but he didn't repent. It's not just regretting that I did that. Pontius Pilate washed his hands and regretted his deed, but he didn't. And it's not just reform. Judas reformed, took the 30 pieces of silver back. But repentance is a, really a true change of mind that affects a change of our volition and a change of our actions. So there must be a repentant heart. But on the part of the offended party, there must be a receptive heart. And you know, you and I are both pastors for a long time. And I know you, like I, have dealt with a lot of people in many of the bro bro broken relationships that never got mended. It wasn't because the offending party wasn't repentant. It was because that offended party just couldn't bring themselves to forgive and have a, have a place of new beginnings. You know, when I see people that, that have these broken relationships for offense, and, and one of the things that becomes clear, sometimes I've heard this. Now, if I've offended you, yeah. I mean, that is not no, it's a not. confession of no. sin. That is not in any way taking no. responsibility. No. It, it's most often heard by politicians. Right. If I have offended anyone right. with my words. Well, obviously you offended yeah, somebody. That's exactly. why they're mad at you. You just offended them. <laughs> yeah, you just offended them even again. How do you avoid that? Uh, how do you avoid that? You just come clean uh, and realize that that uh, nothing we can do can atone for our sin, that Christ has taken our sin and in his own body and forgiven it uh, for those of us who've come to him in simple childlike faith and who just, as you just said, just don't say, uh, you know, if I've offended you, I'm sorry. The truth is I, I've, I have sinned. 
It's not if I've sinned. You know, some people think sin's some little vice that we can just laugh off. Mm. Uh, some people think it's something we can minimize by saying, well, it's, it's not as bad as so-and-so's or excuse by saying, well, everybody's doing it. It's so serious, it necessitated the cross. And uh, we, we don't come to forgiveness. We don't receive forgiveness from Christ by saying, Lord, if I've sinned, I mean, not only does he know we've sinned, we know we've sinned. Well, I want to make sure you come back about this time next year because my guess is you're working on another book. Uh, I am. You want to tell us? Yes, it's going to be the Sarah Code, 52 Ways to Respond in Christian Character When You've Been (laughs) Insulted and Onslaught. (laughs) <laughs> so I know a Sarah who might yeah, be a model for that. She might be that. interested in that. <laughs> Actually, yes. Uh, we, we've got we, we've got another we've got a, we've got another one coming out. We, the Christmas code is out right now. Which oh, I have a copy of that. Small little thing that people use as an evangelistic tool, mm. also at Christmas. But uh, the next one's going to be called the Passion Code. Mm. It's uh, got a hundred days with Jesus. Wow. And uh, it's about God with us. He came in, in the incarnation. It's about God for us at Calvary, what, what the cross really means. And then the, the, the last part of it's God in us, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So you're going to be back next year. We're going to talk about the Passion Code. If you don't, we know where you live. I'd We're going to come it. find you. Better show up. All right, OS Hawkins' new book is The Nehemiah Code. It is never too late for a new beginning. And it's not too late to get this book before Christmas from major booksellers, or you can visit oshawkins.com. And I want to remind you, the proceeds from this book, and this is important, are going to go to help some ministers, some of whom may have helped you, ministered to you, and cared for you, and now they or their widows are in desperate need of help, and this will be a great help to them. Now, Keith, we're going to find out if you can crack the code and tell us what's coming up later in the show. Ooh, I think I've got it. Next, Hollywood film star Kevin Sorbo spreads Christmas cheer and hard-working country singing sensation Frank Foster performs right here on Huckabee. My next guest became one of the biggest stars in Hollywood on Hercules, The Legendary Adventures. Now he's helping create films for families. His recent hit, Let There Be Light, is on DVD and streaming. And this Christmas, he lends his voice as narrator of a wonderful film called Christmas Dreams. Please welcome back to our show, Kevin Sorbo. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hey, Hey, you know. It's good to be here, sir. Before we talk about the projects, You've had some scary stuff going on out in California with the wildfires. Tell us about that. Yeah, I was supposed to be on your show in studio, uh, but uh, the fires obviously came in. We had to evacuate. I went back 24 hours later um, to find three homes in my neighborhood burnt to the ground, one right next door to me. The fire came up on all four sides of my house and on two sides stopped within just two feet. And why it stopped? I don't know. I guess the power of prayer, sir, because uh, that it's a miracle my house didn't burn down. I want to talk about uh, the DVD release of Let There Be Light. Uh, now that it's on DVD, people can get it and have it in their homes, and it's a great Christmas gift. Uh, tell us about the reaction to the film and, and how that has, has just made you feel good about making it. 
Uh, it did very well. It's been out on DVD now, but Walmart said the sales have been so great for it that they wanted to combine uh, a devotional book that my wife Sam and I wrote. So the book is now attached to the DVD. It's at Walmart, and they go to walmart.com, or they can go to Amazon and stream it. But if they want the double package, they need to go to Walmart and pick it up. So it's back out there, rebooted. So I hope people check it out. It's a wonderful, wonderful family uh, movie. It's got a great message in there. There's a lot of hope, a lot of redemption and love involved, and uh, we need more movies like that. The movies that you do that are designed for the families do very well commercially. Why doesn't mm -hmm. Hollywood get that message? I, it's, it's amazing to me. You know, they come out with a movie like Noah. They come out with a remake of the Ten Commandments and the, the movie Exodus. Um, and they hired atheist directors for it. So it's mind-boggling to me. I cannot even begin to figure out why they do what they do. But I'll tell you, Let There Be Light did very well. We were open against Star Wars. This is a $300 million movie versus a $2.3 million movie. We finished number two per screen average for the first two weekends out. Number two yeah. against that huge movie that had $100 million. Look, because of the success of Let There Be Light, I got a call from Netflix. I've had two meetings with them, and they know that they're missing that mark. They realize that they're not programming movies that will reach out to like at least 80 million people in our country that want that kind of programming. Well, and speaking of uh, messages, it's Christmas time. People are looking for great holiday mm -hmm. uh, uh, features. Tell us about Christmas Dreams. You're the narrator for that. This is a wonderful gift for kids under the age of 10, 11 years old. It's really for them. It's, it's, you're taking two classic Christmas uh, stories together, Nutcracker and The Little Drummer Boy. They're putting them together. It's half animated. It's half live action. But uh, it's a wonderful uh, musical that people absolutely love and enjoy. They can pick that up as Walmart as well. It's on demand. Let's talk about uh, you got a film coming out next year called The Reliant. There's even been some... Uh, mm -hmm. controversy about the rating for the film. What could be controversial about a Kevin Sorbo movie? Yeah, that does have action in it. There's gunfighting in there. But it, it should not be an R-rated movie. It should be a PG-13. It's an action, faith-based movie. And, uh, you know, it's just, once again, these things that are, that are happening within, uh, within the system of Hollywood and what the message they want to get out as opposed to the message we're trying to put out within that same industry. You know, Kevin, i got to tell you, I am shocked, shocked at Hollywood would do anything that would be detrimental <laughs> to a film that would be faith-based and family-friendly. One more quick plug, because I'm, I want Christmas dreams. Go to, go to Walmart, pick up Let There Be Light. I have a movie out right now that started this weekend called Bernie the Dolphin. It's at a theater near you. It's a rated G movie, sir. It's hey. a rated G movie. Bernie <laughs> the Dolphin. Thank Merry you. God Christmas. bless. Christmas Dreams, narrated by Kevin Sorbo, is a great holiday film for the entire family. You can also find Kevin's Let There Be Light on DVD and the complimenting devotional Share the Light. And it's available now from Amazon and Walmart. They all make some great Christmas gifts. All right, Keith, I'm dreaming of a little more on the show tonight, so tell us what else we've got under the tree. Well, coming up right after the break, country music's Frank Foster and his band here on Huckabee. My next guest got the Nashville music industry's attention when his latest CD, Till I'm Gone, made its hotshot debut at number two on Billboard's country album chart. His fans love his music because he lives what he sings. Please make welcome Frank Foster. Frank, great to have you here. Very nice to be here. 
You worked in oil fields for a while. Yes, sir. No, I had some real jobs in my time. Worked in the Gulf of Mexico, and when you, when you get off in the morning or the evening, no matter what tower you were working out there, you didn't, you couldn't go anywhere. So it was a lot of time to write songs and try them out on your buddies out there, and they'd be honest with you. So it, it made me get good in a hurry. What's, what's the greatest joy you get out of performing for people? Uh, it's just going out there and giving people something honest and true that they can relate to. And when we go out on the road and go on tour, we, we've got a pretty rabid fan base to be an independent artist. And, and they give us back the energy that we give them. There's nothing quite like that. How thrilled were you when your song came out and busted all the way up to the top of the charts? It's unbelievable. And, you know, for us, it's extra unbelievable. Because like I said, I'm an independent artist. We're kind of our own deal. We don't have a big record label behind us. but. Like I spoke about before, our fans, that's just a testament to them and the effort and the energy and the belief that they have in me and the guys. And, and they go out there and gobble this stuff up. And, you know, it's nice to put out a record every year or so and, and, and tap the big boys on the back and say, hey, we're still here. So, well, pretty nice. I have a feeling you're going to be around a long time. We're happy to have you here tonight. Let me mention that if you want to get your copy of Frank Foster's Till I'm Gone CD or the vinyl, you can go to your favorite music online retailer. And you can also go to frankfostermusic.com for his latest concert schedule, news, and music. Here to sing a song that he believes is Frank Foster. Charlie on the field, sing about love, how the road gets rough. 